we're going to continue on in our teaching in the book of Philippians. And I've learned something recently. For those of you who have younger children, something maybe to look forward to if you're worried about your communication with them. For those of you who have teenagers who may not feel like you're communicating with your teenagers right now. Um, my oldest son left, right? So we have our tip, our officially empty nested, my wife and I. Um, but the weird thing is like, I talk to him way more now than I ever did when he lived in my house. Like, I, it's like, it's amazing to me. <clears throat> and I haven't mentioned it to him because I don't want to, like, I don't want to <laughs> like screw it up. I don't want to stop. But the, the really interesting thing is that um, the conversation, like, every time I feel like the conversation is about to end, a specific conversation, it's like, oh, but dad, this thing happened at work. Oh, but dad, there's a game. I'm like, and the conversation, it's like another 20 minutes, like, that the, the conversation, and it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, but I feel like in the book of Philippians, that's kind of where we're at. Right, we're at chapter four. It's the that we have the end in sight, but Paul is going to hit us with um, relationships. He's going to hit us with prayer. He's going to hit us with God's peace. He's going to hit us with contentment. He's going to hit us with mindset. He's going to hit us with generosity. He's going to hit us with God's people. He's he's going to go from subject to subject to subject through just one chapter, and it's not all. It's not even that long a chapter. So, um, that's what we that's what we have in front of us today. We're just going to be taking a look at what. Paul had to say to the Philippian church about healthy, um, healthy relationships. And we're in chapter four verses. We're just going to do four verses, one through four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, <clears throat> that is how you should, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, true companion, I think that might say up there, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. All right, so um, there's some interesting names in there. Yoda and Sintiki. Those are both uh, feminine names. Those are both women. And Paul is, there's like a, they have an issue. Um, he is concerned about the church because of an issue between these two ladies, right? So he's talking to them about relationships. He ends that phrase, dear friends. He, he's transitioning out of the conversation on citizens of heaven, and he's about to enter into this discussion about relationships. And it's super important to Paul that the church and Philippi stay together. And so he's talking to these two ladies, Iodia and Syntyche. And we have no idea what the problem is. Zero. But there's a problem. There's a disagreement. Um, it's really interesting, though, when people study, study Scripture, there are some people who think the whole book of Philippians is about this argument, that it's just been building to this argument, and everything that Paul has said is trying to fix this one problem on one extreme. The other extreme is that there's no problem at all, and these two are doing a good job, and Paul is just encouraging them to continue on with what they're doing. Those are kind of extremes. The majority of scholarship says that there was a problem. We have no idea what the problem was, but it was a big enough problem for Paul to call it out in this letter that was going to be read to the entire church. Um, really important to note, I highlighted plead twice. Paul was really specific 
and the way that he wrote this. He didn't say, I plead with the Odia and, and Syntyche. He said, I plead with the Odia and I plead with Syntyche. Both people are responsible for the relationship, right? If he didn't want to be mistaken by putting that plead with just one of them, like, oh, it's on her, right? She got to fix it. I plead with both people to take ownership from, for this, this relationship. My true companion. So that word, again, there's only four verses, but there's lots of conjecture around the specifics. And the specifics aren't important, but I'll give you some of the, the background. That word, true companion, is syzygos, and it was also a proper name. So some people think that Paul was writing to a person named Syzygos. Some people think Paul was writing to his wife. The rest of Paul's writings, the rest of the New Testament, we don't think Paul was married, so that's probably not it. Most likely, the true companion was Epaphroditus, the guy that we've talked about throughout the book of Philippians that actually carried the letter and was most likely the one who was reading the letter to the rest of the church. So he's pleading with Epaphroditus to help Eodia and Syntyche come to uh, reconciliation. Again, Paul takes two people to be in a healthy relationship, and it takes outside input. Paul's turning to somebody that he trusts, and he's saying, help them out. We need outside input in our relationships. We need people who we trust, who can speak to us in a non-shame-inducing way, right? If we need to own something that they, they have permission and they can say something into our lives that can redirect us, regardless of how hard the subject matter might be. Hugely, hugely important. All right. Um, they contended by my side. Iodia and Syntyche were key leaders in the church in Philippi. They were key leaders. We don't know exactly what their roles were. Again, lots of speculation and conjecture. Um, but Paul was concerned because they held such influential positions, he was concerned for the health of the church, right? And that the church would not stay together if this relationship was not was not mended or whatever the discussion was was not was not fixed we also know there's some further evidence about how um how important they were or what their work was because he puts them alongside this person clement and there's a lot of people who think this clement was the guy who took over for paul and peter after they were martyred right he became the bishop of rome so he puts Iodia and Syntyche in this conversation with this guy, with this guy Clement. And the last piece, we kind of, we can speculate that the argument that they had wasn't about something super central to the gospel because he includes them in this list of people who are in Jesus' book of life. They're still, right, they're still doing what they're supposed to be doing. They still love Jesus. They're, they're still pursuing him. So we can piece together it was a problem. It wasn't like doctrinal, but it was big enough that Paul felt it necessary to, to call out. Paul repeats, right? This is, I think, another thing, like a disservice that some of the translators have done to us when they put headings in the Bible, right? There's a heading that gets slapped in here, like after stand firm in the Lord, and then there's a heading that gets plopped in there, Beodia and Syntyche or something like that. But I, I don't think that heading should be in there. Because you see this phrase, in the Lord, he says, stand firm in the Lord, have the same mind in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. I think those are all supposed to be together. And I, Paul is talking about having 
um, healthy relationships. He's talking about we stand firm. That's, it's being faithful. It's persevering, that standing firm. And whenever the Bible, not whenever, most cases in the Bible, when we, talk, when we read about faith, it's, it's always God's faith that produces, empowers, inspires our faith. Right? Uh, Psalm, Psalm 91. God's faithfulness is our shield and our rampart. God's faithfulness protects us. Psalm 143. God's faithfulness and his righteousness will come to our relief. Right? When we're in trouble, God, it's God who stands by us and will come to our relief. So it's his faithfulness that inspires our faithfulness, empowers our faithfulness, even in the hard situations. Having the same mind in the Lord. Um, so we, this is a phrase, like if you guys remember chapter 2, that poem that we read, Paul, it's the exact same phrase that Paul uses. And it's the only, there's not really a delicate way to say this, the only way for sinful people to have the same mind is to share a greater mind that is without sin. And when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. That, when he says have the same mind, that's what he's talking about. And when we go back to chapter 2, when Paul kind of unpacks what that mindset is, it's humility, it's obedience, and it's sacrifice. The humility, the obedience, and sacrifice of Jesus moves us to humility, moves us to obedience, moves us to sacrifice. Um, and then the, the last in the Lord is rejoice in the Lord. Joy is the fuel, it's the glue that holds relationships together. The idea of me being glad to be with you, the idea more than anything, I think, than... Um, is Jesus being glad to be with us? I'm not sure if it's the next slide or not. So this is um, this is from a, a commentator, Matt. If you could just, I think it's two slides long, but I'll read it from from this paper. And this, he's talking about the joy and the security that we have as a result of the Lord's joy of being with us. Um, oop, that's not it. I'm going to read it off the screen. The secret is this, that happiness depends not on things or on places, but always on persons. If we are with the right person, nothing else matters. And if we are not with the right person, nothing can make up for that absence. The Christian is in the Lord, the greatest of all friends. Nothing can separate the Christian from his presence, and so nothing can take away his joy. No matter what's going on around us, Jesus is with us. He's glad to be with us. He will stick with us. No matter what knuckleheaded thing we do, Right? When we turn around, he's always there, and he's always glad to be with us. And when we have that relationship, that joy, right? we can have that joy with each other because we have the security in, um, in the joy that comes from, from Jesus. So this is, um, I, I've, been, I've thrown a couple different phrases at you guys over the course of the years. Um, the first one being, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Right? and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can remain joyful regardless of what kind of bedlam is breaking loose around us because we look at the bedlam through Jesus and not the other way around. Right? Another phrase that I've used is that we want to attach ourselves to Jesus. 
We want Jesus to be the central, organizing, most important relationship in our lives. And when he is, we can joyfully endure what relational hardship we might have with others, right? And we can have the strength to, if I need correction, I can have the strength to receive that correction because I'm attached to Jesus. And I know that relationship isn't going anywhere. I have the strength if I need to say something difficult to somebody that I could maybe fear rejection or fear whatever. Um, I have that attached relationship to Jesus so I can move forward and, and strength. And then the last phrase that I've most recently thrown out is that we, we want to keep Jesus in the center. And when we keep Jesus in the center, right, and he is our trajectory, he is our direction, it doesn't, like, if we're not 100% confident of the next step we're supposed to take, whether it's right or left or up and down, if our trajectory and our direction is for Jesus, it's going to be right. It's going to be right. So, all of this stuff, Paul is putting all this stuff out there for the sake of relationships, relationships between people. I have, uh, I lead a group on Friday mornings, and they're like my, they're like my research group. Everything, like, this material that we're talking about now, I did with them 10 days ago. And so I kind of picked their brains and they helped me put message ideas together. And the question was asked, so what is a, a healthy relationship? What does that even look like? And we started coming up with a list. In a healthy relationship, you listen. That's biblical, right? You listen. You respect the other person. You're open to outside input you are gratefully praying for the other person, right? We pray with thanksgiving. You, are in, you share intentional appreciation. If Angelo does something awesome, I tell him, Angelo, that was great when you did that. That was so cool. Humility, right? We don't think of, our, we think of ourselves as God thinks of us, right? We don't, we don't try to make ourselves appear to be more than we are. We resolve to serve the other person. It's an intentional, determined effort. We speak and listen in truth. We share priorities. And we can't do any of that stuff, really, without, um, without slowing down. And after the end of that brainstorming list, Norbert kind of did a great job um, encapsulating it all into, <laughs> into a statement. Our relationships with each other are of the utmost importance, more than clever theological arguments. We live together by changing our own ways so that we can live in harmony in the Lord. I love the focus of that, right? We change us. If there's a relational difficulty, we look at us, we see we own our stuff, and then we move forward in the Lord as he directs us and guides us and, and changes us. All right, so we're just going to we'll finish up with this. What is the impact of healthy relationships? First of all, there's an impact on us, our brothers and sisters, on the body of Christ. If we are taking the intentional effort in the Lord to maintain our relationships, it makes all the difference. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of a relationship, a friend group, an organization, a team, a workforce where there's drama. I mean, sometimes it's just hard to even show up. It's like you don't, you don't want to be around it. It might not even be your drama, right? But there's somebody, it's, it's, and it's, sometimes it's really painful. And people say and do terrible things to each other. And it distracts 
and it divides and it tears down. So the flip side of that, when people are doing the things on that list, when they're living out of a place of joy in the Lord, we can concentrate on the more important things. We can concentrate on Jesus and sharing him with, with other people. The impact that it has on those outside the church, the world around us. Um, when brothers and sisters in Christ, people within the church, are intentionally pursuing healthy relationships, it provides an unobstructed view of Jesus. Not just unobstructed, but unobstructed, unobstructed, excuse me, and highly focused. When, when we talk about love God, love others incessantly, and we're nasty to each other, and we're not intentional about pursuing relationships, it's repugnant. People will look away, and they will stay away. And this has always been true. Back in the in biblical times in the ancient world, um, this is a little bit post-biblical, philosophers looked down on Christians. They thought um, their, uh, the fact that they would pursue faith rather than logic was, was crazy talk. Right? They're, they're, um, just everything about the way the Christians pursued life was almost antithetical to what the philosophers were promoting. I'm going to read to you a quote from a guy named Galen, who was a doctor and a philosopher around 170, 180. And he was compelled by the life of the Christians that he saw because there was consistency in their speech and in their actions. For their contempt of death and its sequel is patent to us every day. So Christians, it was clear that death was not something that Christians feared because they knew what was next. I had to look up patent in that sentence. It's like, I mean, it was clear, it's clear. It was clear, right? <laughs> right? The sequel would be the life to come. For their contempt of death and its sequel is patent to us every day. And likewise, their restraint and cohabitation. They weren't sleeping around, right? There was a high sexual ethic and they actually abided by it. For they include not only men, but also women who refrain from cohabitating through their, through their lives. Let me say this about pause, parenthetical note, right? The, the biblical Christian sexual ethic is hugely important. But that doesn't mean that we won't struggle with it, right? If, if we think that there are sins that remove us from Jesus we will walk away from Jesus, right? When we struggle with the sin, whether it's sexual or otherwise, that's when Jesus wants to step in and help us deal with it. That's when we should lean in to our brothers and sisters, not run the other way. There are certain sins that have been demonized within the church that will lead people to walk away from the faith because they struggle with it, right? We don't accept sin, but we don't look at struggle as, as failure, right? We keep pressing ahead with the help of Jesus and with others. All right, that was the end of digression. Um, they also number individuals who in self-discipline and self-control in matters of food and drink, remember last, last time, earthly things, right? Earthly things, what detract from our view of heaven. 
in their keen pursuit of justice have attained a pitch not inferior to that of genuine philosophers. So this guy is saying, these Christians who we look down on live like we say we should live. When we pursue healthy relationships, when there's a keen sense of justice in our relationships, when we do the things that we talk about, it's attractive, right? It causes people to look further rather than, rather than look away. And the, the last impact that the pursuit of healthy relationships has, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It honors the image of God that's in every person. It honors God's family, right? When we come to faith, we're adopted into God's family. And when we treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ and pursue healthy relationships, it honors that family. It's an imitation of the life of Christ. Jesus pursued healthy relationships. He didn't have that nasty sin thing to deal with, right? But he pursued healthy relationships with those people around him. It honors the commands of God. I, I, I want to say it's like there's like 59 one another commands in the New Testament, right? When we live this way, it honors God and his word. Um, and it's a, it's a visible display of God's love in us when God's love flows through us. So relationships, you guys, are something that we have to deal with every day. There's something that should be a joy, and they will be a joy. We think about those things, right? We stand firm in the Lord. We have the same mind in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. And this, it's not, they're not easy. That's why, if you look at the math, we spend 25% of our Sunday mornings this year on healthy relationships, right? We're doing the, the Pete Scazzaro stuff on healthy relationships. So we can better connect with Jesus and we can better connect with each other. Just like Paul was encouraging the church in Philippi to stay together, this is how we stay together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Um, we thank you that letters on a page thousands of years ago are still so relevant to us today. Uh, we thank you for the gift of relationships. And Jesus, we ask that you would make us the kind of people that pursue, that intentionally pursue healthy relationships. We want to honor you. We want to, um, we want to lift you high. We want to stay together. God, would you help us do that? If there are relationships in our lives that need work, um, would you draw us to those? God, if there are folks in our lives who can speak into those relationships, um, would you make us aware of them as well? God, we pursue these healthy relationships because it's honoring to you, it's glorifying to you, it's for our good, it's for the growth of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.